You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! And around the country, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I need a new name, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. 22 inches, they're saying it is snowing like a beast of a man. It is letting it snow, like Santa always says. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. I don't know, the way you're talking, there might be some kind of Yeti or abominable snow monster coming. Well, I am the abominable snow monster. (laughs) It's beautiful watching it come down. It's not fun driving or trying to shovel it, but I can't shovel it right now because I just had hip surgery, so... I'm sitting here, and my landlord's going to have to pull out their snowmobile to push away the snow. But it's a lot of snow coming down, and we expected this this year. And with everything that's going on in the world, why not enjoy a little bit of snow? Right, Speedy? I know you've been in New York for a little bit. Four years since the summer of 2017. And, yeah, it hasn't been as much as I would have been expecting to, but certain years where there hasn't been as much snow. But there definitely was a lot. Definitely the first year I was here, 18, the winter of 18. snowstorms. Yeah. Yeah. And then a little bit last year, too, but not... Not a lot. Not, not 22 drastic. inches. Not 22 inches. No, definitely not 22 inches. And they're saying it's still not done. It absolutely could continue coming down. By the time it's over in certain areas of Long Island, there could be 22 inches. I think it's a little exaggeration. I would say between 15 and 16. When all said and done in most big places and more high, heavy snow places. But I don't see 22 inches. But who knows? By the end of the weekend, we'll find out how much snow came really down. But we have a great show live. Up for you, we have our new segment, Money Line Mania, with Chaz and the crew. They're gonna go over and make their picks on the final football games of the year before the Super Bowl two weeks from now, the AFC and NFC title game. They'll give you their points as Chaz and the crew, the best handicappers. Wes is gonna be on the show today, and Mo, two very good handicappers, and both of them are Kansas City Chief fans. So mm. it'll be very interesting to hear what they got to say about the Kansas City Chief game and obviously the Ram game. So I'm hoping it's Kansas City versus the Rams in a Super Bowl. It seems like the better of the games that could be matched up with all the four teams. We're going to have a very special guest. This is an ex-NFL player. We've had some amazing guests on our network. When I found out we were going to get Brandon Lloyd on the show, I was very excited. So we will be talking to 11-year veteran NFL wide receiver, Brandon Lloyd will talk a little bit about his relationship with Tom Brady. Some people say that that was one of Tom Brady's favorite wide receivers to play with. So that'll be an interesting conversation. We will get into his past and when he was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers, how he fell from the first round to the fourth round. There's so much to talk about with Brandon. And Brandon is one of the nicest guys you'll ever talk to. So we're very happy to get him on the show. We will get into the football hires. It looks like the Giants are going to be hiring Brian Dable. It doesn't look like it's going to be Flores like all the Giant fans were wanting. It looks like it's going to be Dable. I don't think it's a bad pick. No. Quite a few other teams. The Jaguars got their new coach. Byron Leftwich is going to be the new coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. So maybe a coach that actually knows what he's doing with a quarterback. (laughs) Can't be any worse. Well, that's true. The Broncos. Nathaniel Hackett. 
Uh, offensive coordinator from the Green Bay Packers is about to sign with them. What does that tell you about Aaron Rodgers? Does that mean Aaron Rodgers is on his way to Denver? I've been telling everybody that's where he's heading. It makes a lot of sense now. Nathaniel Hackett going to the Broncos. Chicago gets a new coach. Everflus, uh, the defensive coordinator from the Colts. I'm very surprised they're bringing in a defensive guy again when they have a young quarterback. The question is, who is Everflus going to bring in as his offensive coordinator? Is it Doug Peterson? That's going to be very interesting. There are a couple of jobs that's still available. Miami's still available right now. The Texans are still available right now. And the Vikings are still available right now. And it looks like Josh Mc- Daniels might be on the move, not with the New England Patriots, but with the Las Vegas Raiders. You know he turned down the Indianapolis Colts a couple of years ago, and I think he regrets it. That's for sure. We don't know. play with a chip on their shoulder ever since. Absolutely. We will get into the Knicks woes, and I mean woes, with Julius Randle. I don't know what's going on with Julius Randle, but he is definitely our bricklayer. And R.J. Barrett, since January, has been averaging almost 24 points a game. He's getting hot right now for the Knicks. He was averaging, going into January, almost 14 points a game. Now it's up to almost 18. So he's playing great basketball right now. That's what you want to see from the young kid, that he could take over a game and he could be the number one guy. So it, that's a good sign for the New York Knicks. Now they got to figure out what they're going to build around R.J. Barrett. It doesn't look like it's going to be Julius Randle. The Nets have a lot of problems right now because the stories coming out from Netville is that James Harden wants out at the end of the season with the Brooklyn Nets. And the stories coming out very strongly is that he wants to be a 76er. And if that's the case, why doesn't the Brooklyn Nets at the trade deadline, before they lose him completely, trade him for Ben Simmons? Even though Ben Simmons is not James Harden, you still get a good player, a valuable player for something that you're not going to get anything back for at the end of the season. So James Harden wants out. I don't know what's going on with Kevin Durant right now. I know he's injured. Maybe it's the Kevin Durant situation that he might not want to stay there or Kevin Durant getting older or maybe it's just Kyrie Irving. Him and Kyrie Irving not getting along on and off the court. And Kyrie, who's not playing any home games, that's a big story because going into next year, if Kyrie Irving is only playing away games, what are they going to do with just Kevin Durant? That's a little scary. That means that this year is even more important to bring home a championship for the Brooklyn Nets than it ever has because James Harden might not be there next year and they give up a lot for James mm-hmm. Harden. And we'll get into some hockey. The Islanders lose a big one in a game that they should have won with the LA Kings this past Last week, And then the New York Rangers lose against Columbus. Both teams have not looked good over the last couple of games. I know the Rangers have won the easy ones, and the Islanders have won the easy ones. I want to see these two teams play against some of the hard competition and knock off some of the hard The Rangers outshot the Blue Jackets 36-19, to and they still lost. Yep. A rough one for Georgiev in that defense. And everybody wants to blame Georgiev. It's his fault, but whatever. The defense isn't good. Fox is a great offensive player. He might win Defensive Player of the Year again this year. I don't know why they give it to him. I think Victor Hedman the best all-around defensive player in the league, but they gave it to Fox last year. I don't know if he's going to win it again this year, but he leads all defensemen in points. So we'll get into that. The guests, Moneyline Mania, and we'll have crunch time. No more debate wars because we're going to have so many special guests on this show, and now we have Money Mania. We're not going to have time for debate wars and crunch time, so we'll just have crunch time at the end of the show. Every single show. So let's get into some football conversation. Going into what we thought about the divisional games, it really stood out to me from each game that this was the best weekend. Last week was the best weekend for football. 
You talk about the Green Bay Packers getting knocked off by the San Francisco 49ers. It was snowing. And a lot of people are going to blame Aaron Rodgers that he didn't have a good game. 20 for 29, only 225 yards, no touchdowns thrown. So throw him under the bus. Why don't we just completely dispute what he has done all season long as arguably the best quarterback in the league. But San Francisco had a good game plan. They put pressure on Aaron Rodgers whenever they could, and they threw him off his spots. The special teams of the Green Bay Packers was just absolutely horrendous. Crosby couldn't kick a field goal if you paid him to. And then the punt, the block, which... I don't know what the hell the Green Bay Packers special teams was doing, but I I think they were looking at the snow and just wondering, wow, this is pretty. Because the San Francisco 49ers on 15 just picked up the ball and practically walked it in before anybody even touched them. So you can't blame Aaron Rodgers for that. Very surprising. Aaron Rodgers loses another game. I think he's 0-4 against the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. first time anyone has ever lost to one opponent in the playoffs in NFL And he grew up a San Francisco fan, so figure that one out. But Aaron Rodgers might be on his way out with Green Bay and so is Devontae Adams. Maybe it's a package deal. Maybe he goes to the Broncos now that Nathaniel Hackett is now going to be coaching over there. It makes a lot of sense with a new owner. Maybe Jeff Bezos takes over as the owner over there. The family wants to sell the team. It makes a lot of sense. And everything that we heard with LaFleur, LaFleur doesn't have any answers to anybody, even the press conference at the end of the game. He says he's going to give Aaron Rodgers his space and let him decide what he wants to do. That's all we can do. You know what that means. If he's not giving you any answers now, the answer is two weeks, three weeks after the Super Bowl, I believe Aaron Rodgers is going to say that he doesn't want to be a Green Bay Packer. And you're going to hear stories that Devontae Adams wants to be traded, franchising traded, whatever right. they're going to do with him. And Aaron Rodgers is going to be traded as well. And the Broncos have a lot of draft stock. They have a lot of good young players. If they can land a guy like Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and only give up a wide receiver or two and give up a couple of picks, I think that's a pretty good move for the Broncos. It could really set them up very, very well with the defense they have over there and some of the offensive players that they have over there to be a significantly top-end team in the AFC. Yeah, you'd have to think one of those receivers is going to go in that deal, whether it's Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, or Judy. That's definitely an option. In terms of the 49ers versus the Packers game, the 49ers defense did a great job in the second half, especially with their pressure rate. Their pressure rate's been on a whole nother level. The Packers only got one first down in the second half, and that was a big troublesome sign for them. When you look at the, the Packers defense, the way it's structured, they did all they could in that game. They didn't allow an offensive touchdown. They didn't really allow the 49ers to do much when it comes to running the ball. And that was always their big problem, stopping the run. And that was holding them back against the 49ers in 2019. And they did everything they had to do. And the Packers special teams really just blundered it. They had a blocked field goal. They had a blocked punt. Both teams played well defensively in the cold. Offensively was a bit of a struggle. But that kind of game, you would think it would benefit the Packers. But the way the Niners are structured, the way Kyle Shanahan's more comfortable, it really benefited them more. And Matt LaFleur, I don't think, was as comfortable. I really blame him a lot for the second half, especially. I I didn't like his play calling at all. As far as the Bengals are concerned, we expected this to be a very close game. We didn't know what Ryan Tannehill was. Derrick Henry, he was a shell of himself going into the game, and you saw it throughout the game. The Bengals shut down Derrick Henry, and Joe Burrow got hit a lot. And and Joe Burrow, out of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, amongst the league's top three when it comes to holding the ball too long. He was second in sacks taken the whole year. Yes, and he's been sacked a lot. He was sacked nine times. It didn't matter. Uh, Joe Burrow put the ball in the spots that he needed to, and that helped him win the game. He threw over 300 yards. Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, whatever you want to call him, he's heading over there to the AFC title game, his first playoff experience. Now he's going to the AFC title game against a very talented team. You look at the Bengals. I think the Bengals are going to be here a lot. Joe Burrows reminds me of a young 
Tom Brady. I think he's very cool in the pocket. He's not afraid of getting hit. Tom Brady over the years, even though he has been hit and it looks like the only way you can shake him is because the jam A up the middle. Joe Burrow is a little bit more cooler than Tom Brady when it comes to that stuff. But what Joe Burrow can do is step in the pocket and he's even a little bit better outside of the pocket than Tom Brady is. He's really looked like a quarterback to look forward to in the future. So I really, really like what the Bengals have done and I expect the Bengals to be here every single year moving forward. Yeah, this is a team way ahead of schedule. A lot of people thought maybe they could be a wild card team if they got into the playoffs. People like the Browns, including me, at the start of the year. The Ravens as being the, the teams that were going to win that division and even make the playoffs. But now they're in the AFC Championship game. It proves a lot about the mental state of Joe Burrow. It proves a lot about the confidence that these guys have. Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, guys like that. And that defense, while it hasn't played great throughout the season against the past, did well against those tough receivers of the Tennessee Titans. Now, granted, Ryan Tannehill's a bad quarterback. He's a terrible playoff quarterback but those receivers are still very good and they were able to hold their own in the secondary that pass rush has been very good run defense has been good they proved a lot even though Derrick Henry wasn't playing 100% so that's a good sign so the question is can they take out at least one of those two guys if they could take out either Hill or Kelsey they can make it an interesting game plan and the biggest thing they got to clean up their red zone offense they can't be settling for field goals against the Chiefs you're right the confidence with Burrow is definitely showing something a lot where if this game is close I think it actually benefits the Bengals as far as the Rams and the Buccaneers are concerned the Rams practically gave the game away, almost. The craziest things happen when Tom Brady is in the game. And I'm not saying that there's a fix, but it's kind of weird when you see what happens in the second quarter. Akers is on the two-yard line. He drops the ball. He fumbles the ball. They take the ball with 14 seconds left. Really dominated the third quarter, too. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, Cooper Cup drops the ball. The center hikes the ball over Matthew Stafford to the 50-yard line. Everything and anything that possibly could happen in the fourth quarter to bring back the Buck it did. Tom Brady is sensational when a team is in fluxation. And you saw that as it progressed in the fourth quarter that Tom Brady looked like he was gaining more confidence. Then Evans catches that ball, that deep pass ball, right over Jalen Ramsey. I guess he was eating a cookie or a pizza because Mike Evans was completely beating him all the way down to the end zone. Nevertheless, he tells Williams to move to the other side of the field, him to take uh, Mike Evans, and he couldn't stop Mike Evans. And I'll say this. Todd Bowles is going to get a coaching job again here in the NFL. If it's not the Buccaneers, it looks like Tom Brady could retire. I mean, Bruce Arians might retire, and maybe he takes over the Buccaneers. Whatever happens, that blitz package that cost him the game, people are going to point fingers at him, and they're going to say, could he win the big game? Could he get into that position again and do that same thing that could cost the Buccaneers a chance to go to the Super Bowl? And that's what it did. Cooper Cup went down. Matthew Stafford obviously saw what was happening. They've seen video of this. They've seen that he loves the blitz, a full blitz package, and he threw the ball. He bombed the ball down. Hail Mary the ball down the field. He caught the ball on the 20-yard line, and then they kick a field goal and win the game. But Tom Brady had every chance to win the game because the L.A. Rams gave him a chance to win the game. Yeah, I think they really got overconfident and just sloppy right in the fourth quarter. It's kind of like one of those celebrating early type things. I think once Ryan Suckup missed the field goal, and once they got that 27-3 lead, they just really got like too comfortable with it, and I think they just really got sloppy. Cam Akers had the fumble in the fourth quarter. Like you're saying, Jalen Ramsey getting uncharacteristically burnt. Now, granted, Mike Evans is a great receiver, so it's not like he got burnt by Scotty Miller or something like that, but still very uncharacteristic of him. Cooper Cup as well, fumbling, very uncharacteristic of him. I think they just got overconfident, but they were able to buckle 
trickle down when they needed to. They got some key first downs. Obviously, they got the big play to win the game from Stafford to Cup. So it wasn't like one of those they got like nervous or anything like that. I think the Rams are a very comfortable bunch, and I think they're playing with a lot of confidence. They just played with too much confidence. They played seven great quarters this whole postseason, even against the Cardinals. They didn't let up either. So I think that's a good sign. Here's the thing, though. If you do that against the 49ers, it's kind of a deja vu factor because the 49ers did it to them in Week 18. So they got to buckle down and then learn from their mistake. And then the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. This was one of the best games, one of the best offensive games I've ever seen. And two defenses that are highly profiled. The Buffalo Bills, which was the best defense throughout the league all season long. And Kansas City in the second half was one of the best defenses in the league as well. And both defenses got tired at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. And you saw what Josh Allen could do. How many fourth and 11s? How many fourth and 10s? Did he shake off and get him into scoring position and get a touchdown? Davis was unbelievable. Gabriel Davis, who had four touchdowns in the game the first time in a divisional game. A player getting four touchdowns. A wide receiver getting four touchdowns in a game. It was absolutely incredible. And Josh Allen showed you why he is going to be compared as Patrick Mahomes' disciple moving forward. Josh Allen did everything he possibly could to win the game. And you can't blame it on him. And both defenses were were tired. I knew whoever was going to win that coin toss was going to win the whole thing. Buffalo has a great future. Maybe not with Brian Dable. He looks like he's on his way to the Giants. But it was sensational. Everything was back and forth. 25 points scored in almost the last three minutes of the game. The most ever. You can't say enough about these two quarterbacks. Sensational. And then 13 seconds left. And everybody's going to take shots at McDermott that they should have squig kick it. 13 seconds. You can't give Patrick Mahomes more than 15 seconds or 13 seconds to throw the ball because he can kill you and rip you up. He's seen him do it with Hill. You've seen him do it with Hardman. You've seen him do it with Kelsey. And he did that. He got him to the 35-yard line. They kicked the field goal and they took it to overtime. And that cost Buffalo the game. Everything that game could possibly have, it had. It was sensational. In terms of the squib kick dilemma, I think if the old rules are still in effect where you actually can't be touched just going down right away, that would make a difference. But since you can could just go down right away and give yourself up like you are if you're a running quarterback. I don't think that would have really made a difference. It still would have been two plays and the Chiefs had two timeouts. The biggest problem with the Bills, they left too many yards after the catch. They have good tackling linebackers, they have tackling safeties, and they're all either out of position or they were playing very passive. To your point, I think Josh Allen actually outplayed Patrick Mahomes because of that. I think Allen made better tough window throws, deeper throws like that, whereas Mahomes, he made good throws, but a lot of it was the yards after the catch. Tyreek Hill, especially the way he did on that last touchdown and the big play after that before the Travis Kelsey catch to set him up in the field goal range. But this is a quarterback duel that's going to be big for a very long time. I definitely think for the Bills, most of that blame has to go on McDermott and Leslie Frazier. I think they were playing too much man-to-man right at the beginning of the game, and their guys just weren't tackling. Simple tackles. These guys have good linebackers. I understand from the Chiefs' perspective, they don't really have as much with the secondary talent. The Bills have it, and they just really missed a lot of tackles. And who would have thought that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers would be eliminated from the playoffs going into right. the AFC and NFC title game? Two players that could be on the move. One could be retired. The other one could retire. I don't think he's going to retire. I think he's going to move elsewhere. I think he's going to go to another team and try to build a rapport and try to win another Super Bowl, which Aaron Rodgers has been trying to do year in and year out for the last couple of years with the Green Bay Packers. I just don't think they had enough talent. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens at the end of the Super Bowl and what Aaron Rodgers is going to do moving forward. As far as Brian Flores is concerned, he was interviewing for two major positions. It's really the Texans or nobody. Brian Flores might go into the offseason not having a job. Does he take a defensive coordinator job for one season before there's something that opens up 
next year. Who knows? And Eric Bieniemy. This is another year that Eric Bieniemy is going all the way to possibly the Super Bowl, where he can interview. Maybe the Texans or Miami is waiting. Maybe Miami's a good fit for Bieniemy. Here's the other thing not to rule out, though, just because they just hired their GM is the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa just hired their new GM. Don't rule it out now that he's intact if they go in to look at Flores, too, to interview him, because I think they're a little behind in the process. I don't know what's going to happen to Bieniemy, but Bieniemy could have had any one of these jobs, and again, he's really behind the eight ball. He could go to the Super Super Bowl, unless he gets eliminated against the Bengals. If he doesn't, he can interview on their break week, but that doesn't mean that he can tell them, hey, you know what, I'm going to take the job. He has to wait until the Super Bowl is over for him to consider taking one of those jobs. I feel bad for Eric, but then again, he's working with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. He has a chance to win another Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator, so it can't be that bad. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have Brendan Lloyd, the great Brendan Lloyd, ex-NFL player, 11-year veteran, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Mark. My co-host, Speedy, the damn man, Petey. Remember, kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS. WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is snowing. It's snowing. Yes. It's not Christmas time, but it is snowing, guys. By the time this is over, I'll be swimming in the snow and making my snowman. Maybe I'll make a snowman look like you, Speedy. The Speedy Snowman. Would that be center stage on our show? Could I take pictures and send it throughout social media that sure. I made a Speedy Snowman? Sure. We'll call you Frosty the Damn Speedy Snowman. So you can do the Speedy Snowman. Uh, sure. We're going to have to get that ugly beard on that snowman. That is an ugly beard. You look like uh, an old man. For a 26-year-old, you look older than me. Try to grow the Chew Man Chew. There we go. Speedy Petey. Well, we have our special guest. I'm very excited to introduce this guy. This guy is very well respected around the league. Tom Brady's favorite wide receiver. We are now talking to 11-year NFL wide receiver vet, Brandon Lloyd. What's going on, Brandon? Nothing much. What's going on, y'all? Good to have you. Absolutely. Good to, uh, good to be on. It's good to have you. You have had an amazing career. And before we get into your amazing career, we'll talk about the divisional games and what you think is going to happen this weekend. What have you been doing since retirement? <laughs> a great career. Yeah, I say retirement is when you really find out who you are, uh, especially coming out of the league. But I had an opportunity to return back to the University of Illinois mm-hmm. and get my undergraduate degree, which Congratulations. is a huge milestone. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Enrolled in getting my MBA at the University of Denver. Denver currently serving in the nonprofit space for CareerWise Colorado. So we place high school students in white collar apprenticeships. And so that's just been pretty impactful work. So combine that with a lot of philanthropy and networking and reconnecting my relationships with my family and friends. So it's been a pretty uh, powerful retirement. You've had an illustrious career. 11 years in the NFL in one of the biggest and the best leagues in professional sports. You got to play with a lot of great teammates and a lot of great players. But we were just talking about the San Francisco 49ers. And by the way, you played for the San Francisco 49ers. What was it like? playing in San Francisco in the early 2000s, being that you're an alumni now of all those San Francisco great teams that we've seen in the 90s, the starting and the growth of what this team has become over the new era. What was it like playing for the San Francisco 49ers? I played for the 49ers twice. I started Mm -hmm. my career there and then I went back and played in the 2014-15 season under Harbaugh. Going there in 2003, which was the year after they lost to the New York Giants in the playoffs, arrived at the team thinking there was a lot there. There was a lot of opportunity, but the team ended up 
imploding with the Jeff Garcia and the Terrell Owens beef. And so I had a front row seat at that debacle, which was pretty frustrating being a young person, being a new player in the league and wanting to find my way and needing some mentorship and not getting that from one of the greatest players to play at all time. We all knew it at the time. It wasn't a secret, but yeah, the lore was still there. Bill Walsh was still cruising around. Terry Donahue, may he rest in peace, was still floating around the stadium. So those legends were there a lot. Roger Craig, all those guys are still floating around the city engaged in business activities. And that was when we were playing in Candlestick. And so the stadium was still in the city. It was a really neat vibe. The city supporting the team, the team having that NFL lore, and then those Hall of Famers still being around. So it's definitely a fun town to play in. Completely different vibe in Silicon Valley. But it still has the same desire to win, the same winning attitude, and the same support from the fan base. So that was a tough end to Harbaugh's run there right. when I got there a year late, <laughs> just like the first time. <laughs> what was the draft night experience like for you, the moment you found out you were a San Francisco 49er back in 2003? It was more draft day. I always say the only person happy in the NFL draft is the first overall pick. Everybody <laughs> else thinks they should be drafted higher. I was scheduled to be a first day pick, one through three, and ended up slipping all the way to the fourth round Mm. and so I wasn't picked until that next morning so draft night I was livid (laughs) I'm sure you were (laughs) and then I wasn't even watching it the next day actually went home in Blue Springs Missouri and I went to a track meet and was kind of spending the day at the track meet and then I got a call from my agent like hey you need to get home the 49ers are going to pick you so I got back home and that call was more for me they were surprised because they were like oh dude we woke up and we couldn't believe your name was still on the list but here we are you're coming to San Francisco and so for me I arrived with a chip on my shoulder because I definitely wanted to prove that I had the talent to play at a higher level than what was projected of me. Mr. Lloyd, how are you? Obviously, we've touched on San Francisco, and you played with a lot of my favorite players, Antoine randall Clinton Portis. He's one of my favorite running backs of all time. But I'd be amiss if we didn't dive into the name you had said about two minutes ago. A lot of people, to Terrell Owens, he's a bipolar figure. You either love him or you hate him. And a lot of people have no middle ground for the man. I am one of his biggest advocates. Obviously, I wasn't in the locker room. You said you were a little frustrated that he didn't guide you, it seemed. What was Terrell Owens like as a teammate for that year in San Francisco? He was difficult. It was difficult because what was challenging was, as a new player in the NFL, we're so humble and we're so malleable and we're looking to give a lot of respect to coaches, ownership, and particularly the veteran players, they are the most important people in a young player's career. And his actions went against everything that you're taught as a little league player, as a high school player, a collegiate player, it just went against everything. You know, it's just the, from cussing out the coaches on the sideline to not practicing, treating teammates with disrespect. And so it was just shocking to see as a young player in the league, like, oh, this is really what the NFL is about. What I was seeing on NFL films is not necessarily what I'm seeing in the locker room. It was difficult to watch one person make a decision to sabotage the team And then it happened, especially with the team with so much talent on it. That was really frustrating. On the other hand, there was a lot to see because I had never seen anyone work so hard before in the weight room. In the days that he did practice, he would work out with bands on his legs to restrict his movement. And he was going in one-on-one periods against these defensive backs with restrictions on his legs (laughs) and just mopping people up. And it was just, and then he'd take the bands off about a quarter of a way through practice and just practice. It would just be a sight to see him on the practice field. So there was a lot of positive in there where it's like, all right, 
the way he took care of his body, the way he ate, there was a lot of things to take away that I can put into my uh, quiver and kind of build my own player. But just kind of like what you were getting at, it's frustrating that when you think about him and all the talent that he had, that it's the off the field stuff that gets in the way from really celebrating his athletic career. As everybody knows, we are talking to 11-year NFL vet wide receiver Brandon Lloyd. Brandon, there was a lot of parts of your career where you had some great years. In 2010, you had your best year. You had over 1,400 yards. You had 11 touchdowns. You were a sensational player. I think you made the Pro Bowl that year as well. Yeah, Pro Bowl and All-Pro. Yes, All-Pro. You were sensational. It really stood out. You really stood out as one of the best wide receivers in the league. Could you tell us about that year being under Josh McDaniels? All the things that we heard about Josh McDaniels as a head coach, where everybody says he was horrible, but you had your best year with Josh McDaniels. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just for me leaving the Washington Redskins. Be uh, careful now. Washington football team. The Washington football team. (laughs) Two years into a seven-year deal. And then being brought into Chicago by Ron Turner, who was my college football coach, you know, under Lovey Smith. He was, Ron Turner was the offensive coordinator. And so he really gave me an opportunity to salvage my career after the bad press I was getting in D.C. And I tore my knee up during that bear season and then again got cut after my one-year deal. They right. just, they didn't resign me. I played with Orton there. Orton was in the trade with Cutler, ends up in Denver. And then he gives me a call. I mean, this was July. I was getting ready to start a media career at the Big Ten Network. I was wow. thought I was done with football. You know, I was like getting ready to get uh, go back to school and finish up my degree. This is 2009. And I got a call in the beginning of July. And Orton's like, hey, dude, what kind of shape are you in? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, I play basketball Monday, Wednesday, Friday with the hip-hop community on the south side of Chicago. I play with some DJs and some rappers and some pastors out there. Rock climbing with some chefs and my neighborhood here in Lake Forest, Illinois, on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Sundays, and I'm powerlifting with my dentist, who's a amateur triathlete, Russian <laughs> Jewish guy. He's like he's enormous. So I'm like, I'm in a weird, good shape. <laughs> and so Josh calls me up and brings me out to a workout in Denver, and I and I lit it up. And what Josh said to me, he says, "Do you remember I ran your pro day?" at the University of Illinois. And I was like, no. He was like, yeah, the Patriots, we ran your pro day at Illinois. He says, if you can play anywhere near the way you played, then I'll make you all pro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he wasn't wrong about that. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was just an absolutely neat opportunity because my first year there was 2009. And that was when they were feeding Brandon Marshall a bunch of balls, Stokely and Eddie Royal was a fan favorite. And so I was brought in as an insurance policy, but you know, I was a seven year vet. So mm-hmm. I, I had a guaranteed contract that brought a lot of attention to how Josh is managing the roster and the salary cap. And just that year, the players stayed remarkably healthy. You know, it's one thing you can guarantee in the NFL is like receivers are going to get hurt. Of course. Yeah. And no one got hurt. It wasn't until the end of the year when two of those receivers, they faked injuries <laughs> because they wanted to protect themselves going into free agency and right. to the next season and the team was losing. And so it gave me opportunity to get on the field for two games. And I had a lot to offer in those last couple games. And so once they traded away Marshall and made some other roster moves, it put me in the number one receiver position. And it was just that 2010 season, I stayed remarkably healthy. I, I can't even explain it. 
you know, I was like 100% going into probably 10 of those games. It was incredible. I was incredibly healthy. The other component to that was uh, Josh McDaniels actually believed in my talent. Mm -hmm. So I was actually able to show the display, the talent that everybody knew that I had. Everyone's talking about, oh, you have talent, you have talent, but I actually needed a coach to actually call my number. Right. And then the third component to that was Kyle Orton. And he actually picked me to throw the ball to <laughs> over all the other players. You know, that's the biggest component to being a wide receiver and having that relationship. We actually liked each other. We got along with one another. We had similar interests. And so it was just really neat friendship. And I think those are the three components that led up to that. I had prepared myself. It wasn't like I was sitting on the couch wishfully thinking. Right. It's the point where opportunity and effort meet is what I call it. Because I've always considered myself an effort guy. I was always, you know, diving for the ball and trying, you know, doing extra to make the plays and doing making the spectacular play. So that effort has always been there. But then I had that opportunity with those two components, the head coach and the offensive coordinator who are the same person and the quarterback. So you play with six different teams. So you play with a lot of different quarterbacks and some of them right. are less, lesser known quarterbacks. Washington, especially that year in that 2007 season was very impressive making the playoffs with Todd Collins. I remember that year. Cause I'm a, I'm and a coach Giants Joe fan. Gibbs too. Yeah. I'm a Giants fan. So I remember that year. Well, uh, three NFC East teams were in the playoffs, but the bears, the Broncos, like you were mentioning the St. Louis Rams, I'll put that out there. And the Patriots, <laughs> as you mentioned, the 49ers, anything that stands out with any of those quarterbacks that you ever played with both either on or off the field, that is something unique. The most unique is Tom Brady. Just he's a incredible friend. And I think that it was a similar to like a high school relationship, the way that Tom builds these relationships with with his pass catchers and with his offensive linemen, with the running backs. It's just what he does is remarkable. And during a preseason, you know, before the New York Giants preseason game where we weren't going to be playing, Bill announced that projected starters weren't going to play. And so Tom says to me, he says, all right, B. Lloyd, he says, we're not playing on Saturday night and the Giants came. So meet me in the hotel lobby after the team meeting, because we're not going to have to go to the meetings because we're not playing. It's like, all right. So we go to the team meeting. I meet him in a hotel lobby. This is when he had the penthouse. Him and Giselle had the penthouse in New York. So has a chauffeur pick us up. And me and him just takes me over to the Tom Ford store. Has it completely shut down. Just me, him, wow. one of his Goldman Sachs buddies. And we just spent the morning together. And it's kind of like, I'm not going to be a chump in here and just get a, a bottle of cologne. <laughs> and so let me pick out three of these polos, you know. And Tom's like, calls the stylist over. He's like, man, he's like, put the James Bond suit on, B. Lloyd. Put the mohair suit on. <laughs> put the mohair suit on. All the pieces, right? And as Goldman Sachs buddy says, Tom, is Brandon getting the discount you get when you're here? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon, you get the discount. I'm like, well, well what's the discount? <laughs> Free. <laughs> it's a hefty discount. So I ended up picking up the suit. Polo. I pick up the mohair, the James Bond suit, a couple polos, a few other items. And we get back to New England. And it's all gift wrapped and it's put in my locker. And Tom says, I got this for you. They didn't charge your card. He says, thank you for coming and playing with me here in New England. So it's just like these incredible gestures and the way he makes himself available. Right. It's remarkable, remarkable friend. So I, I think that's probably the top of the top. But Mark Brunel was an incredible, incredible teammate and friendly man. Kyle Orton, also incredibly friendly and likable. So I, I think those are components that make a, a quarterback great is that being likable and being accessible and friendly to your teammates off the field. So Tom Brady is also known as one of the greatest trash talkers the quarterback position has. Being that you're a wide receiver, 
wide receiver and cornerback trash talking, I'd imagine, is probably up there in any type of trash talking for anything. Because you guys are both the alphas at your position, and you're on an island one-on-one. So in your career, I'm sure you've gone up against some pretty great trash talkers. So give us your best trash talking story for yourself, and also the best trash talker that you had to face. I wasn't a trash talker. You don't look like a trash talker. <laughs> no, he. I think he did the Barry Sanders, here's the ball ref, and then he went back to the huddle. Like I said, I was just an effort guy. Put it in, and I just refrained from the, right. from the trash talk. But the best trash talkers and players that backed it up, Al Harris, Mike McKenzie, Richard Sherman, mm. Cortland Finnegan. I hated Cortland Finnegan. Every time I watched him, I hated him. Played for Tennessee for a little while. Yeah. Andre Johnson rearranged oh. his face. You were oh. saying the same thing last week to me. I love Andre Johnson. So when that fight happened, I'm like, oh, all right. You can tell. All day. You could tell Cortland Finnegan, if, if you want to feel with him, you would want to knock him out by the crazy stuff that he's probably saying to you on the field. I've heard some stories about him. But F- Finnegan followed him to the Rams, too. <laughs> Jeff Fisher. <laughs> and Pac Man's up there, too. Pac Man yeah. Jones, definitely. Mm-hmm. I probably rank Pac Man as the dirtiest players I've played against. Wow. Because playing against them, sportsmanship and gamesmanship's like out the window. Playing with them. He's going to hit you in the crotch. He's going <laughs> to grab your jersey, kick my legs, trip me on the ground. I mean, it was just constantly all game. It was just something. I prided myself on not complaining to the referees or throwing my hands up in the air. But I just couldn't help myself when I'm playing against Pac Man. Because it was just his actions, and he wasn't getting penalties for it. Mm. So it was well within the game. It was just things that other players chose not to do. Mm. He would go there. And so I'm not saying that he's not a good corner. He's a fantastic corner, but he's on the dirty list. You know, Santa Claus has a good list and a bad list. He's on the dirty list. Okay? Yeah, he's on the dirty <laughs> list. He's getting a lump of coal. That's in right. He probably got a lot of that. But ask the strippers. <laughs> ask the strippers how much coal he gave them. <laughs> People blame Vontaze Perfect all the time for the reason the Bengals lost that playoff game to the Steelers. Don't forget, Pac-Man Jones also shoved the referee and gave them another 15 yards. <laughs> Jeez. Him and Vince Young. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to fall over. As you guys know, we are talking to 11-year vet NFL wide receiver Brandon Lloyd. So, Brandon, let's get into the divisional games, which a lot of people said probably was one of the best weekends in football history with the games that were played, how close they were, how competitive they were. You were talking about Tom Brady. Were you surprised with so many crazy things that happened in the fourth quarter against the L.A. Rams? Were you surprised that the game happened the way it did and how close it was at the end of the game? Very much so. I was surprised that they were down by 21 points. I was surprised that they even could come back from that. So, yeah, it was all a surprise. But at the same time, it's one of those things where even last year in the playoffs against the Green Bay Packers where you're saying, all right, there's no reason Tampa Bay should be able to march into Green Bay and and win a game. And it's like, you shouldn't bet against Tom Brady. And then it comes this year against Matthew Stafford. And it's like, come on, we're not betting against Tom Brady in this matchup. Mm -hmm. And turns out LA was able to pull it off. You're a big 10 football guy. You played for Illinois. What was the toughest college opponent environment to play in? I'll pick three of them. Penn State, was incredibly, incredibly intimidating in the late 90s. LeVar Arrington and just the sheer size of the players. I mean, they're like professional athletes, <laughs> uh, especially my freshman year when I was probably all 170 pounds playing Division One <laughs> wide receiver. Just incredibly intimidating. The size of the stadium, going from high school where maximum our games were, you know, 
10,000 fans, and that was just for the Crosstown rival. That wasn't every week. So we'd have two games out of the year with 10,000, and the rest of them probably three. But to go from that environment to 100,000, that's intimidating. So I'd pick Penn State, Michigan, and O-State by far were the three most intimidating environments to play in because of the talent, the skills that those players had, and then also because of the crowds that they were able to amass. So back to kind of the divisional game for a second. Obviously, the Rams had a couple of guys that they had brought in this season to kind of make it a win-now mode. Obviously, they moved on to Matt Stafford this offseason. They brought in Von Miller. But being that you have a lot of expertise and knowledge at the wide receiver, I said Odell Beckham Jr. when he got traded to Cleveland, he was going to be fine. He's going to be the all-pro receiver that he has been. And then obviously him and Baker didn't click. Something didn't happen. Whatever happened in Cleveland didn't work. Now in L.A., he looks rejuvenated. He's playing team ball. And he's having great numbers in L.A. Do you see anything special about what Odell's doing? Or is it just finally that he's in a winning system? Well, I think he's, he's in a winning system. And that's the key. When he went to Cleveland, what I said from personal experience, he's just taking the money. There comes a point in a player's career where you have to take the money. I had that experience with the Washington football team where you get an opportunity for a blockbuster deal. They're trading two picks for me. My sports agent was saying, you are not going to get along with Joe Gibbs. Mm -hmm. He was calling. He's like, it's not going to work. I'm on the phone with him like, well, then what do I do? He says, you take the money. Mm -hmm. You have to go. You don't know when this is going to happen again. So Cleveland, I didn't see that panning out. Now, the exit from Cleveland was remarkable. That was more of the remarkable story of him getting out of that situation to be a clean and clear free agent and then to be able to have his pick and then select LA. The thing that I was worried about was, is there enough balls to go around? Is he going to keep it together or is he going to implode? When he went to LA, I was envisioning him having an Antonio Brown kind of situation. But being on a winning team, on a playoff bound team, winning alleviates all the head cases. All the head cases can keep it together when the team's like on a clear path to the playoffs. And then not only to the playoffs, but on a clear, visible path to the Super Bowl. So am I surprised on that he's keeping it together? Yes. But am I surprised that he's able to score seven touchdowns and however many games he's been there? I'm not surprised about that because I know he has talent and he has someone to take away the attention. So he should have enough one-on-one matchups to where it should showcase his talent. As you guys know, we are talking to 11-year NFL wide receiving vet, Brandon Lloyd, who has had a sensational career now enjoying his life after football, went to college, got his MBA. I mean, this guy's had a sensational career, and he, and he has a sensational life, and football really got him where he is today. Last question for me, man. I have a question for you before ahead, you get Ooh, there. Hit me. Right. Hit me. So does this make Matt Stafford elite? He's thrown two record wide receivers, Megatron and Cooper Krupp. Does this make him elite? I think Matthew Stafford was always elite, even with the Lions. He was an elite quarterback. He he was in a bad situation. Calvin Johnson really hid the deficiencies of the Lions, as everybody knows. The Lions never had a running game, and that really affected his ability to play the quarterback position. But when Matthew Stafford was the number one pick and he grew into the quarterback position, every single year you would look at this team. He had deficiencies on his offensive line. He had deficiencies with the defensive players staying healthy. And then all of a sudden Calvin Johnson 
Johnson. Calvin Johnson, he had a nine, ten year career. He was Megatron. He was the great one of the greatest wide receivers we have ever seen, but didn't really play out his career. He wanted to retire. I think that affected Matthew Stafford. I think Matthew Stafford never wanted to be there. The only reason why Matthew Stafford was there was the fact that Calvin Johnson was there. And then mm. after that, we all heard that he wanted out. He wanted out, and he wanted to go home. Clayton Kershaw reached out to him, and I believe that they're both high school buddies. They play football together. I think Clayton Kershaw say, wouldn't this be great? I have an opportunity to win a championship in L.A., and you will have an opportunity to win a championship with the Rams in L.A., the new reconciled stadium over there. I think Matthew Stafford just wanted to come home, play in front of his family and friends. I think he's always been elite. I think he's a top seven, eight quarterback in the league. This year, I would say he's a top five. He's a sensational quarterback with an ability arm strength and all the stuff, and he stayed healthy this year, which has been a problem for him year in and year out. So my answer to you, I've always thought Matthew Stafford is lead. Ask anybody here that's sitting on this panel yeah. over here. I've always loved Matthew he, Stafford. He's defended Matthew Stafford more than a lot, a lot of people. To answer your question, I would kind of compare his career trajectory overall with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan always had the great receiving cores and then the great individual receiver. Now, Calvin Johnson's obviously better all time than Julio Jones is, but it's still kind of very yeah, similar. Not really. Still kind of very similar very where close. he also had Roy Williams at certain points. Then even after Calvin Johnson retired, they had some good receivers at that point. And Matt Ryan also had Roddy White and Harry Douglas and guys like that too that were very good. So I kind of kind of compare that. But if Matthew Stafford has the longevity with the Rams that you saw from him this season, whereas Matt Ryan really hasn't had that with Atlanta the last two years, then maybe he could end up surpassing them. I think both should be Hall of Famers. They're definitely Hall of Famers. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're kind of similar on that cusp. And the other thing too is the thing that has held them back is like certain seasons they were down, like they were kind of streaky year to year type thing, and I think that's what held them back from being that next level, but yes, they're mm. both Hall of Famers. I would consider them both borderline elite as well. I would agree with both these fine gentlemen. I think Matt Stafford's always been elite. The thing that made Matt Stafford special to me was when he dislocated his shoulder, told his coach, no, you need me to throw the ball, I'll go out there and throw the ball, and then mm. threw a game-winning touchdown. That's special. That's not in mm. a lot of guys' DNA. I'm sure you just mentioned receivers faking injuries to get off the field for free agency, and this guy was out there trying to earn the respect of his teammates. Right after that story, I was like, all right, this guy's going to be special. And it's hard to do that in Detroit. Before Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen came into the league, ask anybody who had the best arm in football. I think a lot of people will tell you Matthew Stafford had the best arm in football. So it's not something that was been hidden by anybody that Matthew Stafford was an elite quarterback. I just think he didn't get the respect because he played for Detroit, and Detroit is not a good place to play, and it's been a hidden tundra when it comes to players that go there. So, absolutely, Brandon. I think he is an elite quarterback. He will be a Hall of Famer when all said and done. Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford has a chance to win a Super Bowl this year, and I, if he knocks off San Francisco, I know the 49ers won both games this year, but it's very hard for one team to beat a team three times in one year, especially as good as the Rams. I get it, but I'm Brandon. picking the Rams because Odell's up and running in the system. It is a different team. And getting closer, they can taste it. In my mind, I imagine Vaughn being a bigger influence I in that too. locker room. Mm-hmm. Because he is just so positive and so it's just infectious, his charisma. And then his talent on the field, it's just, it's, it's infectious. So I think there's other components to this next game other than the analytics, other than the history, which is all important, very important. Of course. But this weekend's more emotional picks for me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, go with your heart. Being, go being with I'm your heart. You're not City. alone. Go with your heart. Yeah, you, exactly. Go, go with not, your heart. I'm, I'm not going with my heart and my checkbook. I'm just going with my heart. <laughs> go with the team you play with longer. <laughs> Sports betting is now legal. <laughs>
<laughs> you know, being up from Kansas City, I'm picking the Chiefs, but I like the Rams just because I like the story. Mm. I want to ask you something as well. You played for both teams in the 49ers and the Rams. This is something that bothered me in particular, and you played with, with them when they were in St. Louis, and actually even before the game, because they knew the 49ers won already, so if the Rams won, obviously they were going to host it. The thing they were doing with the tickets, they were, they were limiting it only to Southern California that could buy them. That was something that really bothered me. As someone that you got to experience the 49ers fan culture at Candlestick Park and also got to experience, granted only for a little bit, with the Rams when they were in St. Louis. Is this something that is justified like that and something that should happen? And is also, is something like moving to L.A. the way they did shouldn't have happened with the way the city of St. Louis was happening? What was your experiences like with that? The unceremonious exit out of St. Louis. It's like they rolled it up like a circus carnival and just <laughs> left in the middle of the night. But obviously St. Louis is just not an environment to support a good National Football League team. But I think the bigger story here is Stan Kroenke. I think he's just a spectacular businessman. The exit out of there, the moving pieces to get to LA, crowded market, couple teams, then to get a stadium, a place to house the team. But I think he's more of a remarkable story because when you look at St. Louis, or even if you look at the Denver Nuggets Stadium, the team is just another act. It's not the main event. Between the concerts, they'll run the Nuggets, they'll run the Avalanche, They'll pack that ice up, throw the wood down, and play a game in the same day. <laughs> you know, he is about generating money and revenue. He's got the schemes to do it. And that's how I view what is going on in L.A. with that stadium, with those tickets, and what's going on with the Super Bowl. It's a money scheme. He's good at it. He's going to work the system, and he's going to make that money. Obviously, you said you went back to school for your MBA, you said, correct? And now you're going back. So I went back for my undergraduate, and yeah. now I'm on the last year of my master's in business. Yep. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your plans are after football? A lot of NFL players, they have a very difficult time sometimes either realizing it's over or when it is over. Like you said, you, you find out who you really are. So a lot of guys take a year or two or three. Some guys never figure it out. And it's kind of a sad story when that does happen. So how did you figure out going back to school something you wanted to do? Well, there was a promise I made to my parents <laughs> when I picked the University of Illinois over all the other schools that I was going to follow through. And going back to get my undergraduate, that was an easy one. I said I was going to do it. So that's why I needed to do that. As far as the NBA, the best part about being a professional athlete is the access. The sheiks want to hang out. The elected officials want to hang out, the CEOs, the billionaires, the actresses. People want to be around excellence and greatness. So the access is the amazing part. And so what I was finding was when I was being granted this access, I didn't have much to provide. I was just there. I started saying to myself, it's like, well, I need to increase my business acumen so I can understand how to speak the language so that I can feel comfortable investing in or starting something. And so that's what the MBA is about. And so it's more understanding business, understanding the way it works on a global level, and then being able to apply my talent and experience in the business setting to where I can be successful. His last year in Denver, I believe, was Demarius Thomas's rookie year in Denver. And obviously in sports, there are just gut-wrenching, like Kobe was a few years ago in the NBA. Do you have a story of Demarius Thomas? Everyone says he was a lovable guy. Do you have a story you'd like to share about Demarius? Look, I lost a handful of teammates in the National Football League. Thomas Heron in San Francisco, he died in the locker room after a two-minute drive and a preseason game in San Francisco. Sean Taylor was murdered in my time with the Washington football team. Kenny McKinley committed suicide when I was with the Denver Broncos. And then 
an equally traumatic event was just the murders that Aaron Hernandez committed while as an active player. Damaris, obviously it didn't happen as an active player, but it's all tragic. It's all sad. Just getting back to your earlier question, Tyler, about finding purpose. And then, you know, at the end of our careers, like how do we take care of ourselves mentally? Who's looking out for one another when we exit the, the locker room and we can maintain that brotherhood where we can speak honestly about our situations and what we're planning and, and we can celebrate one another and support one another post-NFL when the, all the lights are gone and all the attention's faded away. Also, David Patton just passed away mm-hmm. in the motorcycle accident a couple months ago. And we played together on the Washington football team. So it's just more of a story. It's like as we get older, our friends and our loved ones are leaving this earth and then we start to question, you know, what is our purpose and what are we doing with ourselves? Is it even worth it? And so I think that I had a really good foundation with my mother and my father on plans on how to be humble, how to move forward in this world ethically with virtue. And so I'm following that path. I'm lending myself to philanthropic endeavors in order to inspire and motivate young people that someone with influence or celebrity looks at them and cares for them and that they have a place in this world too. I also, my influence and my sphere of my friends and my family and how I can inspire them by following that virtuous path and ethical path. That's the plan. And so whoever can latch onto that, let's do it. Let's go for the ride. Thanks for inspiring me. And I'll continue to inspire others, but that's my plan. And that's what I'm sticking to post NFL. That, that's a good final answer to our interview. I, I really, really appreciate everything and all the time that you gave us. We really appreciate everything that you've done, and, and we would love to get you on again. I think a lot of people will be inspired by this interview because I think a lot of things about you, Brandon, is you're pretty straightforward, you're honest, and you're very, very well respectable just in a conversation, really expressing what you did in your career and who you are as a person. So we really appreciate all that. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. You can find me on social media, on Twitter, at Mr. B. Lloyd. You can catch me online at MrBLloyd.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn and you can uh, reach out to me about uh, high school apprenticeships. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate being on the show. We would love to get you on. Again, my producer over here will definitely reach out to you. you can, we'll follow you on your social media, Twitter. You follow us and follow me. I'd love to continue our conversation. You're a great person. Brandon, we really appreciate your time. Very thank much. you, Brandon. One of the best interviews we've ever had, and we've been around for a long time, so thank you. That's thank all good you. and dandy. I just followed you on Twitter. Feel free to follow me back. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Brandon Lloyd, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic interview. Fantastic guy. Great stories. Really, everything you want in an interview, why not? And if you guys have not listened to this interview, you can go to our website, our app, iOS, the podcast on the bottom. Brandon Lloyd is sensational. A great must-hear, must-listen-to interview. Absolutely unbelievable. When we come back, the first time we're introducing this part of the show with all the handicappers and Chaz and the crew, Money Line Mania, here on the Weekend Crunch. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I don't have any underwear on, Speedy. Remember, you can call our show and listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN. 
or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I want to give a shout out to Brendan Lloyd. He really gave us a wonderful interview. So much information, so many great stories. And just to get him on, to tell us these stories, and to stay on as long as he absolutely possibly could put in the time, I I thought it was absolutely amazing. He was easily one of the best interviews we've ever had, probably top five of all time. He's one of Tom Brady's favorites. And Tom Brady doing all that for him, taking him with his chauffeur to Tom Ford's in the city, closed the whole store to check out some of the new suits and trying new suits. The James Bond suit. Yes, and he actually got it for free. Figure that one out. Tom Brady opens up his pockets for the great Brandon Lloyd. Shout out to Brandon Lloyd. Thank you for joining us, and we're going to get him on in the future. He really enjoyed being on with us. Well, I've been asked many, many times by the LI News Radio Network to get a betting segment on this show, and why not get the best guys on this show? Chaz and the crew, we call this Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. We've had this betting show on our network for a very long time, and these guys are awesome. So I want to introduce Chaz again from last week and his crew, Wes and Mo. So shout out, Chaz. What's going on, buddy? I guess I've just been hanging around the industry long enough because I really do have a crew of really good handicappers, and some of them do it for a living. Some of them just do it to pay for season tickets for the Chiefs game. Both these two are from 151 Sports Investing, and all weekend long, we text back winners, and there's not a sport these two can't handle. We're very happy to have you guys on. You guys are the best handicappers, and forever, months and months of talking to Chaz, Chaz told me, Wes and Mo and all the other guys, deep inside of what's going on in sports, the parlays and all that other stuff that you guys talk about on your show, so we're very happy to have you guys on our show. Yeah, and I think we mentioned last week, we treat this educational aspect very, very seriously. I know Wes does, and Mo's right there. We really do believe that if I can make you a better better it's gonna help you in the long run remember winners don't go to ga meetings guys losers go to ga meetings speedy needs to learn how to bet because he's not a very good betting man especially when he picks games he really goes beyond the thoughts of betting he understands statistics and understands who plays well in what stadium and if it's raining if it's cold or it's snowy but for some reason every time he does that he's wrong so I wouldn't say to bet on any of his picks, but you guys. Well, do remember, one of the things we talk about is the reason why Las Vegas has all these lights is it's because of a point spread. If it wasn't for the point spread, sports betting would be easy. I've never bet on any of my picks. If I bet on my own picks, I lose. It changes the pressure. I'll never forget a couple of years back, my wife was winning her company pool. To the point where they thought I was giving her the plays and she got in a fight and almost got suspended. By the end of the year, guys, she couldn't handle the pressure. She couldn't even watch Monday Night Football when it was a tiebreaker because once you start betting, it changes the game. I am not the best better. Parlays and money lines and spreads. I am not the guy to talk to. These guys are the guys. Talking Portuguese, right? Well, you know what I think we should do? Let's start with Mo because I talked to Wes already, but I don't know what Mo's thinking. So we got two games, Mo. Let's start with that first game. Because that's a game that the, your buddy's going to be at, right? Yeah, we'll both actually be there. Both of us got season tickets. Oh, you're going um, as well. How exciting. Yeah, so we'll be meeting there at like 10 or 11 in the morning. So I've got the first half, minus four and a half Kansas City. I don't know about 
the minus seven and a half. It just seems a lot for me, especially for a team that just won four weeks ago. So I'm going to pump the brakes on that. But I think first half minus four and a half should be an easy play for me. You know, it's so funny because the way we bet is so different than most people. Most people talk only about the game. We might have nine plays already cashed. Or sometimes we lose. Don't get me wrong. We lose occasionally, even though we don't lose that often on Thursday nights on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. That much I do know. It really does change when you get to that backdoor cover. There's no such thing as a backdoor cover in the first half. They don't try for it. You're right, though, because there's so many different ways that we look at the game. The pre-game action, that is just if you think that the line is dead wrong. But most of the time, we're into a game making adjustments so that that becomes the cherry, that preseason action that we laid. I'm actually looking at this game a little bit differently too. I am a Chiefs fan, so if I told you the Chiefs are going to win and cover, you wouldn't take me seriously and I don't blame you. But the way that I'm looking at this game, if you go back the last three seasons with the Chiefs in the playoffs, there were three games where they scored first, two of which they lost. And one of them was the Browns. They ended up smoking the Browns. But the Chiefs don't come out guns blazing in these playoff games. They typically... The other team scores first, and statistically, if you remove the Super Bowls, the Chiefs are averaging 17 points in the second quarter. The second quarter game total is 16 and a half. It may go down, but going into this game, I'm laying action on the over 16 and a half for the second quarter. If the Chiefs are averaging 17, I would think that even though Joe Burrow thinks that it's going to be not as loud as an SEC stadium, I would think that Cincinnati's probably going to be able to contribute to help us a little bit with that over 16 and a half. Now, if we get off to a slow start, anything under 16 and a half, I'm loving that too. If we can catch that at 13 and a half, I'm probably going to add a half a unit to that. But my play is over 16 and a half for the second quarter. It really is sweet when the line moves in that direction because those numbers nowadays, remember the old days, 13 and a half was solid rock. For some reason now, when they move that back and the kickers hit holes and kickers miss extra points going out of style, it's just crazy. One of the things that I do differently, this is the only week of the year that I'm not going to talk to you about who's going to win and who's going to lose because I really don't care. I do, however, like both team totals over, and I'm going to tell you why. I have two team total overs that I like, and it's for both favorites, but I'm going to cover the Kansas City one first. I break down a spreadsheet, and I look at who's the leading receiving touchdown person, who's the leading running touchdown person, and I break it down for their last game. So I got the divisional round, the wild card round, week 18, week 17, week 16, and week 15. And the amount of touchdowns that Kansas City scored just is incredibly more than the amount of touchdowns that Cincinnati scored. What I'm doing is I'm looking at finding those, and I will know by Sunday morning, for right now, the play that I'm going with is I'm taking the Kansas City team total over for every opportunity that they offer, because the live action doesn't offer it. They like to run out of fireworks at Arrowhead. They run out of fireworks because of so much celebration. So 40 (laughs) points two weeks in a row, I think you're onto something there. Well, Arrow, how cool is it that both of these guys are going to be at that game? Isn't that wild? It is wild. I wish I was going to the game. I'm not that lucky. We're going to be swimming in the snow over here, 22 inches of it. So it's not going to be fun. One of the things I've always heard, my son went to a game with Wes. I've yet to. I don't think John (laughs) from GMF Sports Consultants has either. The bottom line is I've heard it's the best environment in the NFL. Not looking forward to the snow. You guys are going to Kansas City. It's not supposed to be hitting over there in Kansas City. So you guys are going to be 40-degree weather while we'll be sitting in 16-degree weather 
when it's and ice and snowy. We're okay. in the teens. It'll probably be in the 20s. Anytime you want to take the trip, we got some burnt ends, some world-class barbecue waiting for you. We'll take you tailgating, and you could even wear a Giants or a Jets jersey. We won't hold it against you. I am not a Giant fan. Don't throw me under the bus. I'm a Jet fan, and it doesn't send anybody mm-hmm. happiness because our team hasn't won in 51 years. Harold, you mentioned your picks are pretty good on this first game. Do you have an opinion? I was listening to Wes, and I would agree with him. I want to see the Bengals win. I want to see Joe Burrow. I want to see the young kid really showing. He reminds me a lot like Tom Brady. Very poised in the pocket. He got hit and he got sacked nine times. I think it's going to even be worse this week. Ingram and Jones. And you do have the Honey Badger coming back from the concussion. I think they're going to use him in blitz packages a lot in this game. It's going to cause a lot of problems, especially with that bad offensive line with the Bengals. I expect the Kansas City Chiefs to get an early lead and not look back. I think they're that good offensively. Defensively, I don't know how good the Bengals are offensively. And Jamar Chase, as good as he has been over the last couple of weeks, what he's been doing in the playoffs, there's something that tells me in the big game he's a rookie. I think he's going to get lost in this game. I think T. Higgins will be more of a big option for a guy like Joe Burrow. So I think if it's a seven-point spread, I would bet on that. I'll throw something out. Week 18, wild card, division, not one chase touchdown. They only scored five times in those three games. Mm -hmm. He's a special player. I just think he's young, and it's going to take him a little while to figure things out. Last week, he had a pretty good playoff game. Yeah, but Andy Reid's a pretty good coach, and I would imagine that's one of their jobs, Wes, is to take away the best weapon. I would think so. I am scared of that three-headed monster that the Bengals have at wide receiver. A lot of people forget T. Higgins has national championship pedigree. That's a Clemson wide receiver. He was part of the team that beat Bama. These players, they've seen some big stages. Speedy, who you got? I have the Chiefs on the over probably just because you got to think the Bengals are still going to put up a fight. The thing that concerns me the most is why it's still not an obvious over comparatively is the Bengals red zone offense has had a lot of trouble. And like Errol's mentioning, I, I think the Chiefs will game plan much better for Jamar Chase. They did a great job against Stephon Diggs as much as they struggled against everybody else. They did very well against Stephon Diggs, holding him just seven yards on three catches. So I don't think Chase will be that bad, but it'll definitely be limited. And then the Bengals offensive line definitely concerning against that Chiefs pass rush. Melvin Ingram, especially with a huge spark. I'll probably take the over. Definitely covering the minus seven and a half because I do think they'll pull away in the fourth The quarter. only way the Bengals win is if Mixon has an unbelievable game and they right. control the ball with their running game. How do you win they a game with nine sacks? The thing with those nine sacks, though, is they were not playing against a team that will make them pay from the benefits of those sacks. Right. If the Chiefs even get six sacks, they will make you pay whether it be through good field position or an extra three points on the board. Brian Tannehill is not making you pay. That's the downfall of the Titans. Steve Spagnuolo is going to come with a bunch of blitz packages. They're going to pressure them, and their only hope is going to the run game with Joe Mixon. Let's ask you guys. San Francisco fooled a lot of people, Errol. Did they fool you? No. San Francisco has won six straight games against the Green Bay Packers, and that really stands very highly when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. I think the snow and the cold definitely affected Aaron Rodgers' throwing option. They couldn't run the ball. They were trying to pitch the ball to Jones, and doing that, the defense was figuring it out. And San Francisco's too good defensively to do that over and over again. And Devontae Adams, they completely took out of the game. They don't have any other options. So this is a different game, and I think the L.A. Rams are a little bit more dangerous with Odell Beckham, Cooper Cup, and Van Jefferson. I think there's more weapons, and I think it's going to be harder to shut one out and not the other. So San Francisco's going to have a lot more problems to try to stop these weapons on the outside. But I do believe that they can get to the quarterback. Nick Bosa is a beast. If they cause havoc early in the game and throw Matthew Stafford off his points, 
San Francisco definitely can win this game. It's very hard to beat a team three times in a season. I don't know if that's going to happen in L.A. this coming weekend. Well, let's hear from Wes, because Wes has some very strong opinions. And I've talked to Wes for a long, long time, many years now, and I don't remember such a strong opinion as this game. If you are of the belief that San Francisco is the play, don't take the points. Play the money line, because a lot's going to have to go right for San Francisco to be in this game, and they'll win the game. They're not going to lose by three to keep it within three and a half. San Francisco deserves credit for the two games that they've just won. They've just beat two playoff teams. Both of those games are yeah, but. They were a Dallas mismanaged play clock away from losing that football game. Then they really had no business even flying into Green Bay. They shouldn't even have been flying coach into Green Bay. So without even breaking down X's and O's, you bring up a good point. Six times in a row, I don't think it's going to be seven. But if you just look at rosters and personnel, coaching, probably a push. But then you go quarterback, and then you go running back, and then you go defense, and you just start matching up the players. There is not one part of this game where San Francisco has an advantage other than on the offensive line. I think the only weakness that the Rams have is on their offensive line. But at the same time, Odell Beckham is clicking at the right time. You talk about an easy transition to a team. So my play here is not just the three and a half. I'm actually looking at how I can find more value. I think the three and a half is happening. I think that the Rams are going to win big. I'm looking at the six and a half, and I'm also looking at the nine and a half for some plus money on those because I really think it's going to be that kind of game. The historic part of it is we are going to see an NFC championship game and a Super Bowl in the same stadium two weeks in a row. On top of that, if the Chiefs win, they're about to play against an opponent in their home stadium in back-to-back Super Bowls. (laughs) You talk about wild. I think it's Rams. Rams all day. Find some value. There's nothing that's going to change. It's Rams. That Von Miller trade is paying dividends now. He's a beast. Aaron Donald is tuning it up for the playoffs. And you look on the other side of the ball, right? You've got Cam Akers who's back and who's healthy on the running side. You've got Odell Beckham. You've got Cooper Cup who just led the season. They don't stand a chance. Kyle Shanahan is a phenomenal coach, one of the best. Sean McVay is just better, man. I think the offensive schemes that are going to come out. Are you going to pass it or are you going to run it? I don't think San Francisco has an answer. And the biggest part is Jimmy G's can't score. You have to be able to keep up with the Rams by scoring. And if the Rams are putting up 30-plus points and Jimmy G can't do a touchdown, I don't see how they stay in this game. I'm looking for a blowout. And I'm looking at the plus 6.5 parlayed that minus 3.5 with my Chiefs pick. So it's Rams all day. Yeah, so just some easy sports data numbers for you. In the first half, in their last one, two, three, six games, they've given up three points, three points, three points, three points, zero points, and 13 points. That's the Rams. At home, in four games, they give up 7-3-3-0. That's in the first half. If you can't score 17 points in the first half, you're not beating the Rams. I agree with you. I think the Rams are a predominantly great offensive team. And now adding Von Miller and Aaron Donald, I think he's going to cause havoc in the middle. I think they're going to put pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy Garoppolo, as good as he played against the Rams before the season's end, and Jimmy Garoppolo had to play good for them to get into the playoffs. It's a remarkable story, the fact that they're in the NFC title game. Kyle Shanahan should get all the credit for it, but Kyle Shanahan has choked. The Atlanta Falcons with the... Patriots in the Super Bowl when they were up 28-3. to He stopped running the ball. And the same thing happened against Kansas City in the Super Bowl with five minutes left. He stopped running the ball. You have a great running team, and you stop running the ball. This team is not healthy running the ball. All three running backs are not 100%. They're going into the game crawling. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against this defense. I think the Rams are going to dominate the game. I agree with both of you guys. I think this game is going to be easy. There was never a point this season where we would even put San Francisco in the conversation. Conversation of the final four. 
let alone them winning this game and going to a Super Bowl. That truly would make this all about the tournament and not really about anything in the middle. Mo said that Jimmy G's not getting him in the end zone. In the last playoff game, they had one touchdown. Before that, two. Before that, three. Before that, so in their last five football games, they've had two touchdowns or less. The Rams are going to score more than two touchdowns. Unless Nick Bosa controls the game. Nick Bosa's going to have to have four or five sacks for them to win the game. And they're going to have to have a pick six at least one time in this game to stay in this game and win this game. I can't see it. And by the way, Debo Samuels, who, who's been Debo. sensational, he needs to play at the top of his game. They're saying he needs to run the ball, he needs to get a running touchdown and a catching touchdown for them to even stay in this game. If you look at the Rams, Jalen Ramsey will take him and try to take him out. He had a problem doing it last week with Mike Evans. I don't think he's going to do the same this week with Debo Samuel. So I, I think it's going to be a dominant game. In this latest game, if it wasn't for the quarterback in the game after him scoring with 13 seconds left, he would have been the hero because if I remember, there was 30-something seconds left when they got the ball. Yeah, I think 52 seconds. You got a young quarterback facing a guy that is only his third playoff game, mm-hmm. but this kid is a great quarterback. He's been a great quarterback since he played in college. He's just got stuck in Detroit. God bless anybody that gets out of Detroit. Moneyline Mania, you guys are awesome. I'm looking forward to getting you guys on every single week and giving us your top games. The divisional games were awesome. They were fantastic. Probably the best week of football we've seen in a very, very long time, maybe of all time. And now this week, I'd like to see these two games really stand out. I just think it doesn't work. The Bengals in Kansas City, I don't know how close that game's going to be. And then the Rams in San Francisco, two teams that nobody would have thought that should be here. The Bengals, the 49ers. Who would have thought before the season started? that the Bengals would be in the AFC title game. Did you guys think that? No one. That's why they have future bets in Vegas, baby. (laughs) One of the guys on our network that calls our show, he's a big college better. He said Georgia, before the season even started, that Georgia was going to win the national championship. He won like five grand or six grand off of that bet. And I think he put like $200 down. It's ridiculous. So sometimes you can get lucky. Betting's all about understanding the game and how the game works. That's why I don't bet, because I think I know the game. I think I know how it works. And then when I lose, I'm like, don't bet on my picks. They don't work. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Mo. And Chaz, you're awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, guys, always be cashing. Sports betting, Moneyline Mania, these guys are awesome. Keep listening to this segment every single week. They're going to give you winners. Speedy will keep tabs on it. And you guys can reach out to them. They're social medias. So if you want to keep in contact with them on what they're betting and how they're betting throughout the week, you can reach out to them and they'll give you all the information you need. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some basketball and hockey. Julius Randle, I don't know where he is. I think he's on another hemisphere. Maybe he really does believe, like Kyrie Irving, the earth is flat. I don't know because his brain is flat. And <laughs> his I, shot is flat. His shot is really flat. The New York Knicks, they should be running the ball through R.J. Barrett. As we've seen since January, R.J. Barrett's been one of the hottest players in the NBA. So hopefully we see more of R.J. Barrett as the number one target. And with the Brooklyn Nets, it's really this James Harden story. James Harden wants out. All of a sudden, he wants out of the Brooklyn Nets. Is it Kyrie Irving? Is it Kevin Durant? Or is it just James Harden just not wanting to be here anymore? We'll get into that and what we think James Harden is going to push forward and do at the end of the season here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Where are your phones, Speedy? Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. 
the L.I. News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app or go to iOS, WWSRN or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. Speedy, have you checked out the snow outside? Not yet, but I'll see it sooner rather than later. Yeah, well, we can't drive in this. I mean, we're going to be sitting in the studios for the rest of the night, so Mm -hmm. uh, I might be singing you a lot of funny songs by the end of the night. Yeah, you probably will. So whatever the case is, we're here to entertain you guys. We're happy to be here. I hope everybody's enjoying what we're producing for all the sports fans out there and all the people that like to laugh and listen to us. We're here for you. And we had great interviews, Brandon Lloyd and Moneyline Mania, one of the big shows and big segment parts of our show moving forward. So if you like to bet and you like to gamble, listen to that segment. Why don't we get into some basketball? Because to me, Julius Randle, I think, doesn't even know where the hell he is. I told you this, Speedy, for the last couple of months after the season that Julius Randle can't play in front of fans. I think he has a problem. I think he really has a major problem of understanding how to shoot when there's fans out there. How many air balls? How many bricks that we have seen over the last couple of weeks that Julius Randle has laid and really disappear in certain games? Just completely disappear. The other day, he had, what, nine points? Julius Randle, who averaged 24 points last year, 10 rebounds, and seven assists. This year, he's averaging almost 17 points, nine rebounds, and five assists. He's been absolutely horrendous. And for a guy that shoots 42%, that is not a good percentage for a guy that shoots perimeter shots. But not only that, when you look at where this team is going, it's completely falling apart. You bring in Evan Fournier, there are games that he looks good, there are games that he completely disappears. Kemba Walker, I don't know what Kemba Walker is going to show up every single day. Derrick Rose isn't 100% healthy. Finally, we're starting to see the young players. I like what we see with the young players. The other day, we saw Obi Toppin on the court for a significant amount of time. Thank God. What are you doing, Tom? But again, I don't understand why he just decides not to play the young players. Right now... The only thing that stands out to me on on the growth of this team is R.J. Barrett, who since January is averaging almost 24 points a game. He's been the guy that's been taking over, really showing that he can go left, he can go right. He could do all the things that we wanted to see him. He's starting to shoot free throws, and he's starting to hit open three-point shots. That's something that he had problems when he came into the league. And now with... Cam Reddish, maybe Williamson in the future. The Duke Blue Devils of the New York Knicks. I don't know what you want to call them. Maybe Coach K will take over the team. I don't know. We have the Kentucky Knicks and the Duke Knicks all at once. I don't know. I mean, seriously. The Blue Blood Knicks? The college basketball Blue Blood Knicks, maybe? I have no idea. But this team is starting to not look like much of a basketball team. Maybe that Tom Thibodeau is just tired. Or maybe these players are tired running this offense and running this defense. Tom Thibodeau has been known to wear out his players a little bit earlier in the season. And and they're not the same team at the end of the season, but it's still kind of early. I, I mean, it's, what, 35 games into the season, 40 games into the season, and this team is already tired? It's not even the All-Star break, Speedy, so I don't know what's going on with this team. Yeah, I think R.J. Barrett, you mentioned the Duke connection with Cam Reddish. I think he's played a lot better. He's really elevated his game since Cam Reddish has come over. Now, granted, Reddish hasn't played all the time, too. He's only played in two games, both limited with the Knicks so far, but I think the confidence of R.J. Barrett, you definitely see it, especially with his three-point shot. His defense has been improved much of the year, though whole way but even he was slumping offensively for about a month and a half as well and now you're seeing him go back to the player that he's supposed to be Julius Randle your fans theory is definitely evident right now I don't know what's going on with him ever since then he's really forcing shots shooting very inefficiently and becoming kind of that worse version of that lower tier 
what he wants to think of himself as a number one option. And it's not a good look for the Knicks, a Knicks team that has done a good job in terms of developing young players. Obi Toppin absolutely should be playing more since Emmanuel Quigley and Quentin Grimes have played more. They've done a nice job getting themselves into the rotation. So I think these guys should be playing more. And Julius Randle, whether he gets benched or not is another question, but he has to at least take some level of back seat and let these young guys play. Because the Knicks... They're not only underwhelming to the point where, all right, they were maybe a seven or eight seed in comparison to four. They're right now out of the playoffs if the season ended today. Nobody expected that when they were a four seed that nobody expected to be as good as they were last year. Absolutely. And then there's the Nets, who James Harden has come out and said that he doesn't want to be a Brooklyn Net next year. There are stories coming out of Philadelphia that he wants to go and he wants to play with Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers and where that team, that 76ers team, that actually is playing good basketball. Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate, but so is Kevin Durant he's playing with, who was the predominant MVP before he gets hurt. I don't know what's going on over there in Brooklyn, but if it's true, they give up a lot for James Harden. They give up a significant amount for him, and now he's not going to sign a contract. You don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant could actually buy out of his contract and, and leave next year as well, and the Brooklyn Nets could be exactly in the same spot they were when Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, And uh, the Jet decides, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with my career here. I don't want to be here anymore. Could you imagine Sean Marks practically throwing away draft picks and young players for these guys, and then they leave again, and then he gets fired? Same thing as Billy King. It's crazy. Karis LeVert, good player. Jared Allen's becoming a player. And Cleveland's been sensational, by the way. They're going to be a dangerous team moving forward for a very long time. They're good and they're young. But I don't know what is going on right now with the Brooklyn Nets. And if they don't win this year with James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, that was a wasted trade. You practically threw away your future again. Yeah, whether they win this year, they're going to have to at least figure something out to make it work because the relationships between these NBA players in what has been a very player-run league is always going to be fragile or short-term. And it seemed like it was close with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant for a while, and maybe it still is. But again, with him not getting the vaccine, the Nets maybe having to pay the fine in order to get him on the court. James Harden now feeling uneasy with this. It's going to be very hard to be able to repair that. So they're going to have to really work hard to make sure that they could get this going fast in order to make it work. Whether they finish as a three seed or a four seed, I don't think that really matters to them right now because the Nets have played better on the road this year anyway. But they have to repair the images of who they want to be. Get this relationship going where Kevin Durant doesn't want to buy out. James Harden doesn't want to test free agency. Or even if he doesn't want to test free agency, know that they still give him the extra year and make that kind of thing work. They have to repair their image in a way to avoid the deja vu that they endured 10 years ago. And now hockey. And I will say this with the New York teams. The Islanders, since the COVID break, they've played pretty good hockey. But they haven't beaten any good teams. And they played the LA Kings the other day and just completely laid a lousy goose egg. Now, they were were down 2-0 at the end of the second period, they did come back, but lost 3-2 to two against an L.A. King team that, let's be honest, is not better than them when they're at full strength. Now, the Islanders are just about to get it back to full strength. Pulik is coming back. Slowly but surely, Barry Trotz is back. But this team, they're playing chase hockey. And what I mean by that is they're right now chasing the 8th and the 7th seed, who, by the way, are up 16 points over them. And it's going to be very hard with 40 games left to catch those teams in front of them. And I know they have games in hand, but they got to continue winning when these teams, they're continuing winning. And to me, right now, Speedy, I don't know how the Islanders are going to catch these teams if they don't go on a spurt of 8 or 9 wins at least 2 or 3 times. Yeah, they're going to need two different chunk streaks in order to make that kind of thing happen. Right now they have 36 points with 8 games at hand on the Washington Capitals. They're behind 
behind by 19 points. That's one wild card spot. And the Bruins are in the other one where they only have four games at hand, though, at the same time, and they're behind by 15 points. So there's two different scenarios that could work there. And whether it's the Capitals will end up being the other Metro team or a team like the Rangers or the Hurricanes or Pittsburgh, wherever combo that ends up happening, they're going to have to make up a lot of ground regardless. Now, their game earlier today was postponed due to the flurry of snow that we're getting, the 22 inches that could be potentially coming. So they're going to have another drought where they might not be able to play for a while. So they're going to have to bounce back. Seven and three of their last 10 games. Hopefully the rust doesn't hurt them if you're the Islanders. Absolutely. And then there's the Rangers who have been playing good hockey and they're right now the best team right now in the Metropolitan Division. Who would have thought that? Maybe it's Gallant. And we've seen this with Barry Trotz. He took over and then all of a sudden the Islanders shot all the way to the top. Same thing with Gallant. Are they going to be able to hold on to that first place Metropolitan position? I don't know. And I don't think the Rangers are built for the playoffs this year, but it's a sensational story for what the Rangers are. You have Kreider, who right now leads the league in goal scoring. Who would have thought that Chris Kreider would be leading the NHL in goal scoring right now in 40 games into the season? He's going to be a 50-goal scorer this year. He's going to be an MVP candidate. So that says a lot about what Galan has done to this team and really what this team is all about. They have a young defenseman in Fox that just gets better and better every single week. But this defense, this team defense, is not good, and we've seen this. Going into the season, we knew that their weakness was the defensive side of the puck. They have been better as a team defense, but as a single defense or a line defense, this is not a good defensive team, Speedy. Yeah, they've leveled out in terms of after the big hot streak. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games. Their defense has looked sloppy in certain moments, especially the last game against Columbus, where they outshot the Blue Jackets 36-19 to and then lost the game 5-3. to How that happens is beyond me. Playing well, but they kind of weather the storm a little bit. They're right now third, tied for first with 60 points with the Hurricanes and the Penguins. And again, I still expect them to be kind of in the 2-3 range anyway, but you got to... you believe the Penguins, the way they're playing right yeah, now? Yeah, they're right now having the streak the Rangers did kind of a month ago, and the Hurricanes, they're a great team, so we kind of expect them to be there, but the defense does have to be a little more consistent as a whole. Their depth is better than it was last year, which is a good sign, but they still have to be a little more consistent as a whole. And offensively, they're getting good production in a lot of different areas. Obviously, Chris Kreider having the great year he has. I think as a whole, you're really seeing a lot with this Rangers team. And also, shout out to Henrik Lundqvist, who got his number retired yesterday as well by the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden. A very special guy. Even if you're not a Ranger fan and you're an Islander fan, you can't hate Henrik Lundqvist, who was a good Samaritan when it comes to hockey. He was a player that everybody liked. It didn't matter if you were an Islander fan, Penguin fan, or a Florida Panther fan. You loved Henrik Lundqvist because he showed the ability to go out there and play hard every single day, every single game, playoff, regular season. He was a hard worker. And to me, one of the greatest goaltenders of this era, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, if you really look at the top 10, top 15 goalies to ever play this game. And for a guy that he didn't really stand out when he was drafted, really developed into that top-end goaltender over the years with Jonathan Quick and Carey Price. Yeah, Carey Price. To me, Henrik Lundqvist was better than all of them. And it's an amazing story. He deserves it. And for all the Ranger fans that had experienced the opportunity to be there when Henrik Lundqvist's number got raised over there in the rafters, it was probably a very special night for all the Ranger fans. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Final segment of the show, Crunch Time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Mark. My co-host, Speedy, I need a haircut, Speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. 
Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 the East Coast getting slammed with some snow. And over there in the West Coast, sunshine and some crumpets and tea over there, I guess. You like crumpets? Not sure. I don't think I've ever actually technically had them. You never had an English crumpet? I don't think so. Don't They're think delicious. Okay. They really are. I'm not a tea fan, but I like crumpets. No, I'm not I've a tea fan England. either. No. I've been to England. I was over there DJing years and years ago and had the experience to eat some of the fish and chips and the crumpets over there. I didn't get to sit with the queen. Well, that's <laughs> I mean, the queen wouldn't have loved me because I would have probably made fun of her and I probably would have gotten shot. Don't worry, at least you're not in Ireland. <laughs> that's true. I'd probably be buried six feet under if I stepped on the soil of Ireland, thanks to our old friend Conor McGregor. But that's a whole nother story, ladies and gentlemen. I do not want to talk about it today. Anyways, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! So all football to round it out, we'll start with one coaching one. Buy or sell. The Raiders will either hire Josh McDaniels or Jim Harbaugh to be their next head coach. I am going to buy it. I, I think it's Josh McDaniels. Jim Harbaugh has completely fallen out of the conversation. I think Josh McDaniels has an understanding of where this team is. You have Derek Carr, you have Waller, you have Jacobs. This is a good offensive team. Kind of put your little spin to it, a.k.a. Tom Brady style. Maybe this is a playoff team for a very long time. But we've seen this with the Broncos. It didn't work over there with the Broncos. But he actually has a quarterback here with Derek Carr. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think just because I think they really have to repair their image. You saw what happened with John Gruden, that whole debacle that turned out to be. Whether it's all his faults or Dan Snyder's or whatever it is, they really have to do something different. I think they have to really get a more consistent like culture guy. We've seen Jim Harbaugh have a lot of trouble with young players in San Francisco. And Josh McDaniels really wasn't a good head coach while he was with Denver. So I'm going to sell that. All right, by ourselves, we'll do the two for the AFC Championship game. Somebody other than Tyreek Hill or Jamar Chase will lead the AFC Championship game in receiving yards. I am going to buy it because I think both teams are going to know that these are the two best players. And Travis Kelsey is really showing up year in and year out in the AFC title game. I expect him to play very, very well, even better than Tyreek Hill. And Jamar Chase, as good as he is, I think Kansas City is going to try to take him out and make Higgins or Boyd beat him. Or one of those other guys. So I am going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too for the sole purpose of what you saw with the Chiefs. The one good thing they did against the Bills defensively was stop Stephon Diggs. I think you're going to see one of the other receivers, like Gabriel Davis did with Buffalo, one of the other receivers, Higgins or Boyd, is going to be the leading receiver in this game as a result. I think Kelsey does well for the Chiefs as well. I think Hill will lead the Chiefs in receivers, but I think one of the other twos for the Bengals will have more. I'm going to buy it. Both Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes are 300 plus yards and two touchdowns. I'm going to sell it. I think Patrick Mahomes will. I think Joe Burrows will have two touchdowns. I don't think three. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to completely dominate this game and kind of throw Joe Burrow off. And Joe Burrow was sacked nine times last week. I think he gets sacked close to that, too, again this week. If that happens against a Kansas City Chiefs team, I think they're going to be able to throw him off. And with the offensive ability that Kansas City has, I think that's trouble for Joe Burrow. So I am going to sell them. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too, just with the Bengals' red zone woes. He might even get close to the yards just because the Chiefs' secondary looked really bad against the Bills, too. But the red zone offense for the Bengals has really been a problem. So I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Debo Samuel will be the leading rusher in the 49ers versus the Rams. I'm selling that. I don't think that's going to happen as much. As much as 
A lot of people think Debo Samuels is going to have a big part running and throwing the ball. A lot of the teams over the last couple of weeks forgot that Debo Samuels is a dominant player, and he has been a great player this year with over 1,600 yards. I don't see it in this game. I think the Rams are going to know that Jalen Ramsey needs to stick him. Jalen Ramsey will stick him, and Debo Samuels is not going to have the game he has the last couple of weeks. So I am going to sell that. I am going to buy it. I think receiving, he won't do very well with Jalen Ramsey. I think the Rams will do a better job with that. But I really don't see any other running back that's standing out in this game. You see Cam Akers with the two fumble. I think he'll kind of be more in the doghouse. Sony Michelle's a little bit rusty. He hasn't really played a lot with the Rams. Elijah Mitchell, maybe he's the guy, but uh, he's a rookie too. That He might be a lot of pressure on him too. And the Rams have mostly struggled with the outside run. So I think you're going to see Kyle Shanahan really be creative with this. I am absolutely going to buy it. All right, one more. Both George Kittle and Cooper Cup will have five-plus catches and 80-plus receiving yards. I'm going to buy it. I think both players are going to have big games in both respectable games. Cooper Cup always dominates. And even against San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, Cooper Cup had a great game. I can't see San Francisco being able to stop them. They don't really have a number one corner that could stop him. And not just a Kittle. When he plays and he plays hard, nobody could stop him. I think Kittle's going to have a sensational game. He's going to get five touches because Jimmy loves to throw to him. And 80 yards, I think it's possible. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too. I think you're also going to see because the Rams off the back of safeties in. Linebackers that are okay but not great. I think that's going to be a matchup that Kyle Shanahan realizes he's going to have to expose. He's been used mostly as a blocker for the first two games. I think you're going to see Kyle Shanahan pull out him more as a receiver in this game to throw him off for what they usually do. So I am also going to buy it. And ladies and gentlemen, that was crunch time. I want to thank Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and the crew for joining us. They gave us a good segment. If you guys like to bet and you guys want to reach out, we'll slowly but surely give you ways to reach out to them on social media and all that other stuff. So definitely stay tuned for that. And I want to give a shout out to Brandon Lloyd for giving us all that time. He is sensational. Tyler Harrison for joining us in the interview. Brandon is a sensational guy. If you guys didn't get a chance to listen to the Brandon Lloyd interview, well, Check out the replay by going to our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. He is awesome. The stories that he told us, Tom Brady, even the Aaron Hernandez thing. When was the last time we've seen a player talk about Aaron Hernandez in a conversation or Sean Taylor? It was a sensational interview. Guys, it's a must-listen to. So if you haven't heard it, you got to go listen to the replay on our app. That's it for our show. We'll be back next week with a lot more and obviously a new guest and Moneyline Mania and us are as wonderful as we are. I hope all the New York fans love what we're doing for you guys. We're very excited for the future of this show and what we're doing for Long Island and New York sports. So we're very happy to be here. That's it for our show. We'll be back next week. Good night, everybody.